Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. While the Nats are in St. Louis, the Red Hot Chili Peppers take over Nationals Park this Thursday night. Make Walters your spot before and after the concert. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's a swing and a line drive to shallow right. Rounding third and coming home is Cruz. He's going to score. And the Nationals add to their lead. Four runs home here in the top of the eighth inning. It's now Washington five and St. Louis one. Runners first and second. The pitch to Arenado. Fastball is lined down the right field line. This may fall in. It does. And it bounces into the stands in foul ground. And with runners on second and third and nobody out, it's now the Nationals five and the Cardinals two. Finnegan sets now. Garcia's out in right field. Here's the pitch. Swing and a fly ball left field. Sending call back. Way back. He makes. No. It's off his glove. Bounces off the wall. This is going to win the game for the Cardinals. Both men will score. And the Cardinals have come back to win the game in the bottom of the ninth inning. And a tough, tough bottom of the ninth inning for Kyle Finnegan. And the Cardinals win the game 6-5. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, September 8, 2022, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Bush Stadium in St. Louis. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, no, it was not Game 5 of their 2012 NLDS against each other, but the Nats on Wednesday night suffered a brutal loss to the National League Central leading Cardinals. Nats blew a 5-1 ninth inning lead, a 6-5 walk-off loss at St. Louis. Kyle Finnegan in the bottom of the ninth gave up five runs, recorded just two outs. Yes, the Nats are the worst team in the majors. And yes, the results of Nats games this season have long since stopped mattering. But we're all human, right? If cut, do we not bleed? The Nats were in position on Wednesday night to win a seventh game in 10 games. The Nats were in position on Wednesday night to notch a second win in this series at the Mighty Cardinals, and instead, it all faded away. There was so much to like from the Nats in this game, but you end up exiting the game with uh, quite the uh, disturbing taste in your mouth as a Nats fan. Uh, that's all I have to say after this one, Al. <laughs> that was one of those that, look, for seven innings, this is a sleepy Really uninteresting ball game, to be honest. They're trailing one nothing most of the night. They are doing nothing at the plate. And then all of a sudden you have this like legitimately inspiring rally where they take the lead with a flurry of two out hits. You're thinking, man, they're going to come out of here 
And at worst, they're going to split this series with the Cardinals after winning a series in New York. They're going to guarantee that they go home with a winning record on a September road trip to New York and St. Louis. And you're thinking, okay, all they need is three more outs and they're up by four runs in the ninth. Here we go. And you could just feel that one coming, couldn't you? I mean, not to say that he couldn't have gotten out of it. Finnegan was throughout the whole thing, one pitch away from ending the game with a win for the Nats. But you could feel it falling apart as that inning played out. And so the way it ended on a ball just off Alex Call's glove in deep left field, it just made you at the end of the night say, I think that about captures it. I do, though, have something that hopefully will make people feel better. The first ever Nats Chat Podcast, Podcast Party, is coming. Yes, the inaugural Nats Chat Podcast Party is coming. It will happen, where else? At Walter's, the home of the Nats Chat Podcast. Uh, Walter's, in case you don't know, and you should know, but Walter's is an outstanding bar across the street from Nationals Park. The party will be taking place on Friday night, October 14th. More details are coming, but we're going to hang out. We're going to talk Nats. We're going to watch some postseason baseball. Now, if you actually make physical contact with Mark, he will say to you, hands off the merchandise, okay? So you got to be careful, all right? You got to be careful. You got to mind your manners. But we're excited for this. The first ever Nats Chat Podcast Party. If you have questions, you can uh, hit up Tim Shovers at NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. That is your saying, right? Hands off the merchandise. Don't touch. Well, I'm impressed you would even know that, Al, because you never leave your little man cave down there in your, your home office. I'm just impressed you're going to come out into, well, it's not going to be daylight because it's in the evening. So you're going to come out at night and see the public and allow yourself to be seen by all our legions of fans who've been listening to us for two years. I've met a lot of these people already over the years. They know me. They know my foibles and my idiosyncrasies. They don't really know what you're about. I barely know what you're about because I only talk to you over Zoom like this. We've only seen each other in person a few times in our respective careers. So I'm excited about this for a variety of reasons. Yes, of course, to see the fans, but also to see you in person and to see how you interact with all of our loyal listeners. I will be there live and in living color. Thankfully, Fridays are not work nights, so I can exit the home office. I can exit the basement bunker, and I'm excited for this. Walters is a great spot. I was there actually on the Friday of the first home game for the Nats in the 2019 World Series. Now, we know how that weekend ended up going in terms of Nats home games in that World Series, but that was a great atmosphere. Walters is a great spot, so we're looking forward to that first ever Nats Chat Podcast podcast party Friday night, October 14th. Mark your calendars, and if you have plans, cancel them and be at Walters on Friday night, October 14th. So yeah, back to what happened on Wednesday night at St. Louis. You know, it's funny. The game ends up being a disaster because Kyle Finnegan ended up being a disaster. But up until that point, the Nats bullpen had been outstanding in this game. And that really would have been a major talking point about this game. Orosmo Ramirez in this game on Wednesday night, two and two thirds perfect innings. Carl Edwards Jr. on Wednesday night, a perfect bottom of the eighth. Kyle Finnegan had with which to work in the bottom of the ninth, a big fat four-run lead. I mean, you felt pretty good about this game going into that ninth inning, and then Finnegan just did not have it. Now, he was pitching in a game for the first time 
Since September 1st, uh, you wonder if rust was perhaps a factor, or maybe he just did not have it, but he ended up allowing five runs, getting just two outs. He gave up two doubles and two singles. He issued two walks, and the big blow ended up being a two-out first pitch walk-off two-run opposite field double by Tommy Edmond off the extended backhanded glove of Nats left fielder Alex Cole. Finnegan in the inning threw 31 pitches, 18 strikes versus 13 balls. Do we think that Rust was a factor or was Finnegan just off in this game? Well, first of all, credit to you. You brought this up last night and said, hey, boy, we haven't seen Finnegan in a while. When are we going to see him again? Is that a cause for concern? So you were on top of this. I said, we're probably going to see him one way or the other in this game. And we certainly did. Now, I asked Finnegan point blank if that was an issue and he insisted it was not the case. But look, you can see how that went. His command was not on, and it was right from the beginning. He was falling behind hitters. He walks Goldschmidt, the second battery faces. He issues another walk later in the inning. And then I felt like the real issue was as that inning is dragging on and it's still going, and he's up to the 30 pitch mark, pitching for the first time in six days, and a guy who doesn't usually get to that kind of workload, I'm thinking to myself, maybe just pull the plug here. Hunter Harvey was warming up at that point. Now, I asked Davey Martinez about it, and he said that unless Finnegan gave up the tying run and now the game is continuing, he was not going to make that move. It was going to be Finnegan's game as long as they still had a chance to win it in the ninth, and Harvey would have only come in if he blew it, but the game didn't end yet. I get that, but I also would say because of how long it had been since he pitched, he clearly looked off on this one. The pitch count is getting way up there. We know Hunter Harvey throws gas and has been electric for you. It wasn't like it was a safe situation to begin with. You can't, you can't create your own safe situation. Why not just put Harvey in there? What do you have to lose to try to get out of that jam with that? So I, I get it. You know, Finnegan makes one more pitch, game over, and we're saying, hey, great job. He, he got his way out of it. But it felt to me like as that inning was playing out, you kind of knew that he was treading into some dangerous territory there in terms of the pitch count and just the fact that he didn't have it and he was – he wasn't throwing strikes, and when he did throw strikes, they were hitting it hard. Yeah, you know, I really do wonder how much of Davey leaving Finnegan in the game was just about the state of the Nats season, and you're trying to groom and develop Finnegan, and you maybe wanted to see him work his way out of this. I mean, if the Nats were in a pennant race, we would be hammering Davey for leaving Finnegan in that game. But you see, if the Nats were in a pennant race, I don't think that Davey would have left Finnegan in that game. And I don't think he's going to come out and say it, but I think you know, in a spot like this, yes, you want to win. And Davey does manage to win. I mean, let's make that clear. But I think you can maybe sort of err on the side of leave him in and see what happens as opposed to managing, you know, with like your pants on fire and you got to make sure that you win this game at all costs. I mean, that's not the way that Davey handled that ninth inning. The general rule when you're trying to win, if a reliever doesn't have it, you get him out, okay? You don't worry about roles or anything like that. You get the guy out of there because we know how these relievers are. They are fickle. They are unreliable. They are failed starters. They are second-class pitching citizens. And so it's like, when the guy is off, get him out and figure out you know, the other stuff later. David didn't do that with Finnegan in this game. I mean, it's hard to know what to think of Finnegan. And I feel like we say this about a lot of these Nats young players, you know, because it's like, there are things to like, and there are things you see that are encouraging. You know, he throws hard. He has proven himself to be adept at getting out of these jams, but he also isn't consistent. And he puts guys on base and he gives up homers. And, you know, he is by no means some lockdown slam dunk closer. I mean, he just has not been that for this team. And, you know, I don't know, maybe next year he, he catches fire and ends up being like that. But again, 
with these relievers, with their year-to-year nature, what you're always searching for is like the rare guy who's good every year. And it just feels like with Finnegan, he's like a lot of these guys. He's talented. There's upside. There are things to like, but he just isn't consistent enough to make you feel great about him. Well, as is the case for a lot of guys on this team, it feels like this year, when he's good, he's really good. When he's not, he's really bad. And there aren't a lot of those just middle ground like, now he was a little bit off tonight, but he found a way to get through it. No, his blown saves, and I know this wasn't officially a blown save, we're going to call it that because that's essentially what it was. They're pretty epic when he has blown them. They've been pretty ugly. And they're not just, well, he's got a one-run lead and he gives up a bloop and a blast. Like they are, the whole inning is crumbling down on you. So that's not unusual that that, you know, happens. We've seen it with a good number of relievers, not just on this team, but on others. But that is what separates, you know, the truly elite, consistent closers year to year and these guys who have their moments and compile some saves for you but don't become regulars in that role for a long time. And so, yeah, maybe he did want to see how he handled that situation in this game. But, you know, I'd also kind of like to see Hunter Harvey do this. I think we've gotten to a point now where we can say he's stayed healthy, knock on wood. We know he's got the electric arm. We know he was always kind of groomed with the Orioles with the idea that he would be a future closer someday. So why not see how he would do entering with the game on the line in the bottom of the ninth in a hostile environment? I'd kind of like to see that before the season's over, and maybe this was a spot to try that. Yeah, and you know, not that people are super concerned about who the Nats' closer for 2023 will be, but Tanner Rainey's not going to be good to go for the start of next season. So if you're thinking about 2023 and who, in theory, would be your closer, maybe you do want to give Harvey a look-see and see what he can do, and you know, maybe that can play into your decision-making for bullpen rules for next year. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. We are into September, a time for pennant races in baseball, and Window Nation is offering pennant race-worthy savings. New windows from Window Nation at half the price. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Lower your energy bills, raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. You know, the longer that you have old drafty windows, the more money that you're wasting on your heating and cooling bills. Window Nation has saved customers over $60 million on energy bills. And the average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with 20,000 windows installed. Window Nation windows are great. And Window Nation windows are installed right the first time. Take advantage of this terrific deal. Buy two windows, get two windows free. This goes for any style of new window from Window Nation and pay nothing until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Abbott was good. Mm-hmm. He was really good. I mean, he, you know, he hasn't been stretched out that much. He also, I mean, he gave us he gave us everything he had. You know, the ball started getting up on him a little bit there at the end, and uh, but he pitched really well. There was a lot to like from the Nats in this game. I mean, I thought that Corey Abbott gave the Nats a solid outing in this game. Corey Abbott was the Nats starting pitcher. One run in four and the third innings. He had five strikeouts versus no walks. You know, Abbott is in that Paolo Espino territory of he starts, he relieves. You know, he's a tweener. You know, we've talked about Mason Thompson recently. Maybe he ends up being that for the Nats. But like, you know, more and more, you're seeing guys like this, guys who both start and relieve for you over the course of a season. And, you know, Abbott now has had a pretty decent number of nice starts for the Nats, albeit in a small sample size of starts. The Nats on May 4th claimed Abbott off waivers from San Francisco. He's currently in the midst of his fourth stint with the Nats at the major league level this season. They've been optioning him back and forth between the major league level and AAA Rochester. He has made five starts now. I mean, look, he wasn't like outstanding on Wednesday night, but again, one run, four and a third innings, five strikeouts, no walks. And he's done this a few times where he has started games and pitched well. There was a 5-1 win over the Mets at Nationals Park on August 2nd. Abbott in that game, five scoreless innings. We had a 3-2 loss to the Chicago Cubs at Nats Park August 17th. Abbott in that game, two runs in six innings, five strikeouts, one walk. I think he's been surprisingly decent, if not good at times here for the Nats. Yeah, I agree with you. And what's funny is that Corey himself is not nearly as complimentary of himself as we are. His evaluation of himself in this game was meh. He literally said the word meh. And I think what bothered him was not so much the results, only the one run allowed, but the fact that the pitch count got up there to the point that he couldn't complete five innings. He wanted to go even beyond five. He wanted to go six or seven. So that's the one sticking point there. But like you said, sort of like Paolo Espino, we're not really counting on more than five innings out of Corey Abbott at this stage of the season. So if he gives you five innings and gives you a chance to win, that's a good thing. That's a good start. 
for him. So yeah, I, I think he's done a nice job under the circumstances. I don't really feel like I have any sense of who he is or who he could be, how he would fit in in the long term. I don't think they're going to look at him as you know one of their five going into next season, but he certainly could provide rotation depth for them because we know they need more than five starters. And sometimes you just need somebody who gives you a chance to win. And if they do decide to go a route of uh, making Mason Thompson a multi-inning reliever or somebody else like that, maybe you can pair up two of them. Maybe Abbott and Espino can pair up together and have them combine for six or seven innings in a game. There may be something there. I think he's done well under the circumstances, but I still don't really have a sense or feel of if he could be more than this and if they could actually view him as a building block for the future. Yeah, I mean, if he can be someone who can give you over the course of a season, say, 100 plus innings in that tweener role, there obviously is value in that. Abbott, in terms of the pitch count on Wednesday night, 88 pitches over four and a third innings. So yeah, I mean, that is a high pitch count for four and a third innings. He had 56 strikes versus 32 balls. He gave up five hits, a homer, a double, and three singles. And uh, like we said, overall did a good job offensively for the Nats in this game. So for the longest time, basically through the first seven innings, it felt like another sleepy performance, another game in which the offense just isn't there. You know, we've seen this a lot this season. We had the nice run recently, but then the previous game didn't go so well. You said, all right, we're kind of back to where we were with this team offensively. And then we had a four-run top of the eighth inning. And the Nats went from having tied the game at one in the top of the seventh to busting the game open, at least to a degree, and going into the bottom of the eighth inning with a 5-1 lead. The Nats ended up finishing this game with five runs, 10 hits, three walks, two for six with runners in scoring position. We had a big game from Luke Voigt, who really hasn't been hitting all that much lately. But Voigt on Wednesday night uh, certainly did hit Luke Voigt came through to the tune of three for four with a two-run homer and two singles. And how about that home run in that four-run eighth, a two-out, two-run homer on a bomb to left field for a 4-1 Nats lead, 424 feet for StatCast. He had an RBI single from our guy Joey Forbanks, Joey Manessis, in that eighth inning. He had an RBI single from Luis Garcia in that inning. And, you know, you pair those things up with a Cesar Hernandez RBI triple in the top of the seventh inning, and the bats came alive late. It's bizarre. This team, for so much of this season, did so little in the latter innings of games. And it feels like over the last maybe month, when the Nats have hit, it has been in the later innings of games. And certainly in this recent stretch of the Nats offense being better, the Nats have hit in the latter innings of games. It is really weird. I don't know that I have an explanation for why that's been the case. I mean, they were totally shut down by Jordan Montgomery, the Cardinal starter, who's been very good, by the way, since they got him from the Yankees. So some credit to him. But I mean, they did nothing for six plus innings. And then all of a sudden, the floodgates opened. And that was a really nice rally to the point that you thought, we're going to be talking about this lineup and like in a whole different mindset and view than we've had of them all year long. And now they're starting to finally do this late in the season. And, you know, kind of an inspiring fashion. Luke Voigt needed a game like this, I think. It's been a struggle for him. He's acknowledged this has not been a good year for him, both San Diego before he even got here and then in the month that he has been here. So this was a really good game from him. That home run off the guy he was traded for, by the way, Giovanni Gallegos. When the Cardinals had him, they traded him to the Yankees and got Gallegos in return. So that was kind of interesting. That was towering 424 feet over the left field bullpen for what looked like the you know final blow that the Nats needed to win this game. It obviously wasn't. Now, 
I got to ask you this because you're Mr. Statcast. You love this stuff. Explain to me how the expected batting average on that absolute bomb by Void was only 780. In theory, that's trying to tell me that there was a 22% chance that that ball would be caught for an out. In what major league ballpark can you hit a ball 424 feet to left field like that and have it be caught? Well, I'd have to double check this. Expected batting average, that's not only based on exit velocity, that's also based on distance. Yeah, I believe it's a combination of exit velocity, distance, height, all those things together. I believe that's how they put that all together. And, and in theory, you know, if that ball was hit the exact same way, you know, a thousand times across all the different ballparks, it would be a hit 78% of the time and be an out 22% of the time. I don't know how that could ever be an out. Yeah, that doesn't make a ton of sense. Unless, uh, I don't know, maybe the expected batting average is based on hitting it to center field in the polo grounds decades ago and where it's like, you know, 800 feet to center field or whatever the heck it was there. Yeah, that doesn't make a ton of sense. That was a shot. And, you know, Voight has some flair to him, okay? He's all jacked up. He does a thing where he doesn't button up the jersey. So he looks like some uh, porn star from the 1970s with the way he wears his shirt. And he admired that. I mean, he pimped that home run. He stood there and he watched it. But that was an impressive shot for sure. I think he's from the St. Louis area too. He is. Yes. Yeah. So I think that was maybe part of it. But yeah, good for him for doing that. And, you know, the Nats are hitting more, which is good to see. I mean, the offense comes alive. You don't always know when it's going to happen, but it does happen. And it did end up happening in this game. A couple of interesting things with the lineup. He finally rested. Cape Ruiz did not start this game at catch. Riley Adams did. And uh, where was our guy C.J. Abrams in this game? How come he didn't start? Okay, Ruiz did come into the game late, though, if you didn't catch that, <laughs> which is crazy. They have another guy, Trace Pereira, and instead Ruiz was actually the guy behind the plate for the fateful bottom of the ninth. So that's a whole other issue. C.J. Abrams got his second day off in a week, which is a little bit surprising that you would do that. You wouldn't normally think that a young guy, 21 years old, would need that many days off. But Davey described it as not being a physical day off, but more of a mental day off. There are still things they are working on with him in the cage, in the field. And I think they want to have some days where he can just focus on that and not have to immediately think about how he's going to apply it to a game situation. So he got this one off. He'll be back in there on Thursday for the series finale, an early game, 12-15 start here in St. Louis. But I was a little surprised by that. I think Davey was just trying to find the right spot to do it. He figured against a tough lefty in Montgomery, quick turnaround to a day game on Thursday, this is the one to do it. But I also thought it was notable, and, and I think we knew this was the case, but to actually see it in practice. When C.J. Abrams was out, you had Ildemaro Vargas sliding over to shortstop, Cesar Hernandez at third base, and Luis Garcia stays at second base. He is not going to play any more shortstop. He is their second baseman. That's all they want him focusing on now. Yeah, and I think that is probably the right way to do it. I mean, I do wonder if, like, say, next season, C.J. Abrams suffers a pulled hamstring or something and is out for multiple weeks. Would you still do that then? But yeah, look, it wasn't pretty with Luis Garcia at shortstop. And I think maybe the thinking, too, is you don't want it to mess with Luis Garcia's mind, especially with him continuing to hit pretty well. So just take that load, that concern off of him and let him focus on second base. But I'm curious, if you do have to go a substantial stretch without Abrams, say due to injury, what would you do at shortstop? Would you not even consider putting Luis Garcia there for, like, say, a couple of weeks? And maybe the answer is no. Who knows? 
Yeah, I don't know. I think it depends on what they do this offseason as far as backups. Is Vargas back as like a utility infielder? And is Carter Keyboom their everyday third baseman? That's a huge question that's going to loom over them next spring. If that's the case, my guess is they would say, okay, Vargas, you're now our shortstop for the time being and keep Garcia at second. If it's only a few weeks, that's one thing. If, God forbid, C.J. Abrams suffered like a three-month-long injury or season-long injury, that's maybe a different story. But I, I agree with you. I think they have come to grips with the fact that Luis Garcia is not a shortstop. And he's looked very comfortable at second base, I think. He's obviously still hitting. Why would you mess with that just to put him at a position that we've already seen he really struggles at? I don't know who the alternative is. They're going to have to make sure they have someone. But my hunch is that we have seen, other than an emergency situation or something like that, that we've seen the last of Luis Garcia as a shortstop. Yeah, and you know what? That's fine. The Nats tried it. I think it was worth a shot. It wasn't working. I mean, I guess you could say, well, you'll you'll never know if you'd have given it more time if it would have eventually clicked, but it wasn't working to a point to where it didn't feel like it was probably going to click. It felt like it was going to be an uphill battle. He's played second base. It's not like second base doesn't matter defensively. It does matter. And so just put him there. It's okay. Not everyone, you know, is meant to be a shortstop. A few other things here with the Nats. So Harleen Susana, one of the players who the Nats got in their six-player package received from the San Diego Padres in the Juan Soto-Josh Bell trade. He was pitching, Susana was, for the Fred Nats on Wednesday, and he pitched well. One run in four innings. He had six strikeouts. Susana is a guy who is throwing well over 100 miles per hour pretty consistently, like he's doing this on a pretty regular basis. He's young. This is his age 18 season. He's listed as being 6'6", 235 pounds. He was the consensus number one ranked pitcher in the 2022 international signing class. I have to tell you, he's 18, he's built like a horse, and he's throwing 100 miles per hour. I mean, this seems like a Tommy John surgery waiting to happen, you know? Like, it's almost like, have him undergo the surgery now because you know that it's going to be happening. So with that as sort of a caveat, it is pretty exciting what this guy has in terms of physical tools. Now, what does that mean in terms of what he'll become? We do not know, and it's going to be a while, you would think, until he's pitching at the major league level. But man, 6'6", 235, only in his age 18 season, throwing over 100 miles per hour. I mean, there's a lot to like with this guy. Well, it's exciting because this is the kind of pitcher the Nationals have hardly ever, if ever, had coming up through their minor league system. They've got guys with good arms, but not this young and to that extent, I don't think. And in theory, actually has some command. This is not one of those Henry Rodriguez light up the radar gun, but have no idea where it's going. He does seem to have command of those pitches. So that's exciting. Hey, he's going to get to pitch in the playoffs in Fredericksburg. They clinched their division title the other night. Good for them. This is a franchise, remember, that when they first started in Fredericksburg last year, began the season 0-17, and and now they're going to the playoffs as division champs. Now, there's nobody, literally nobody left from that roster that was there when they were 0-17 to begin last season that's there now. But for the people who work for them, for the fans down there, good for them. They're going to get to experience some playoff baseball. And yeah, let's see what Harleen Susana can do under the bright lights of Fredericksburg Stadium in, uh, well, it's not October, it'd be late September playoff baseball. Do you think, though, that the Nats would ever say to him, we know you can throw over 100 miles per hour. Please don't do that so often so as to preserve your arm. Would a team ever say that to him? Like, ease up just a little bit because we want to keep you healthy. Is, is that something that you think the team would ever say to him? I think it depends on something, which is 
do they look at him and it feels like he's overexerting himself to get to those numbers? Or is it a smooth 102, 103 that he's throwing? I don't know the answer to that. I haven't seen him in person. I haven't really talked to enough people yet about that. Sure. If it's somebody who looks like it's a violent delivery and he's really going above and beyond to try to hump up and get to those numbers, and especially if he's having trouble with his command doing it, yes, they will absolutely say, hey, you don't have to throw it that hard. Why don't you dial it back just a little bit and see if you can be successful throwing 98 or 99. But if he has the ability to do that and throw it for strikes and it does not look to their trained eyes like he's causing any strain on himself. No, they'll let him go like that, at least until he reports any kind of issues. The velocity, yeah, you can say, okay, that makes him a prime candidate. But just the fact that he's an 18-year-old pitcher, to me, is what the real red flag is. I don't care how hard you throw, you're always in danger. You just don't really know what you're going to become as an 18-year-old pitcher, whether you throw 89 or 102. Yeah. And when you're 18, in theory, you're not fully physically developed and throwing a baseball is an unnatural thing to begin with. And so are you putting stress on your shoulder and your elbow and other parts of your body when maybe you don't have to be? I don't know. I mean, one of the amazing things about baseball is for all the advancements in information and stats and technology, there still isn't really a good grasp on what triggers Tommy John surgeries and now, you know, thoracic outlet syndrome scenarios and how you avoid this. Like, we know how to diagnose these things. We have a sense on how to treat them in terms of surgery and rehab. But there is still so little that is known about how to prevent these things. And that's what matters. Like you just said, well, if he reports discomfort, then they'll tell him to stop. What you want to do is get to a point to where you get it before the discomfort starts, right? Because like you don't want to be reactive. You want to be proactive. But just there still is not a very good handle on all of this. I don't know if there ever will be. I mean, this is, you know, medicine and science and these things are not so clear. But man, it's just like you look at him and we all have seen this and you say to yourself, all right, he's 18. He's built like this. He's throwing over 100 miles per hour. Like, raise your hand if you don't think at some point he's going to need Tommy John or some serious surgery. Like, it just, it feels like it's inevitable with somebody like this, but hopefully not. Hopefully not. Did you see these Juan Soto comments? Yeah. Yeah. So Juan Soto, as of the taping of this podcast, so this would be through September 7th, has a batting average of 232 with the San Diego Padres. He does have an on-base percentage of 397 with the San Diego Padres, but his slugging percentage is just 374 with the San Diego Padres. Things are not going swimmingly for Soto with the Padres. He's actually gotten booed on multiple occasions by San Diego fans. And he, in a piece by Kevin Acey of the San Diego Union Tribune, said the following, quote, the challenge is just going from a team that doesn't care about anything because they know they don't go anywhere to a team that has a really good chance to win the World Series. That changes everything from one day to another, end quote. So there are a few things going on here with Soto. Number one, he has been underwhelming for the Padres, at least so far. Number two, the fact that he's getting booed. I don't know if he was ever booed in D.C. But number three, what do you think that he meant when he said going from a team that doesn't care about anything because they know they don't go anywhere. Do you think he just simply meant a team that isn't winning and isn't invested in winning this season? Or do you think he meant something more than that by saying, again, a team that doesn't care about anything? No, I think he meant the former, what you said there, that he's referring to them, that a team that isn't winning right now, knows it's not winning right now, isn't necessarily trying to win in the immediate period of time. Now, 
what you got to remember with Juan Soto, and I, I think it's important we do remember these kinds of things. English is not his first language. He has come a long way, and I give him so much credit. From the time he got to the big leagues, he really made a point to want to learn English and conduct his interviews in English. And the progress he made there in a short amount of time was tremendous. But he still does not have a complete grasp of it to be able to phrase things the way that you or I would or somebody who spoke English from the time they were born would have. And so I do think sometimes, especially when you read it in print versus hearing him say it on tape or on, on camera, it can come across a little bit differently than that. Knowing him and having talked to him this year, it's not all that different than what he was saying when he was here. Like he acknowledged that it was frustrating playing for a team that was not trying to win right now. That didn't mean that he was saying, I want out of here. I think we know it's genuine. He did not want to be traded and he was upset when he was. Now, once he got to San Diego, you make that switch and you say, okay, I've got a chance to win now. I'm going to embrace this. And I'm, wow, I got 45,000 fans chanting my name as I take the field for the first time. We're in a pennant race. This is great. I think all of that was genuine. So I did not interpret what he said there as a real slam on the nationals or what they've done or what they intend to do moving forward. I think that was the best way he could put it in English to describe the difference between what it was like playing here this year versus what it's like now playing in San Diego. Let's remember, he has played in a pennant race and in the playoffs and won a World Series before. So he knows what that's like. This isn't some new experience for him. The booing part, that is new because no, I don't ever remember that happening to him in D.C. Yeah, I figured it was probably just something that was lost in you know translation because that is out of character for him to say something like that. And that is like a very over-the-top thing to say, right? The team doesn't care about anything. Like, he didn't have that kind of relationship with the team. It felt like things were pretty good, actually, with him and the team. So, yeah, so that does make sense. But, yeah, you know, it's not going so well. I mean, Josh Bell got off to that horrible start with the Padres. And Soto is kind of doing the thing that we did see him do here at times, getting on base, drawing walks, but otherwise not doing a lot. And uh, yeah, things at least so far not going as well as the uh, Padres fans would like. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, hit up Tim Shovers again, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at NatsChatPodcast, and you can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.com. Dot square dot site. All Nationals radio highlights on that chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. And we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we leave you now with the latest on the AAA Rochester Red Wings. This from the voice of the Red Wings, Josh Wetzel. The delivery. Fastball pulled into the ground to third. Diving back in play by Alou. He gets to his feet. Throws the first and gets him. What a play by Jake Alou. All right, guys. Time for a Red Wings update for you here in well, early September, where normally the wing season is already done. Now the way minor league baseball and AAA baseball especially works, the season is extending through late September, and it's been a rough second half of the season for the Red Wings. At one point, they were 35-19 and 19 on the season. Now, as I tape this, they're actually the opposite of that. 16 games 
under 500, with, of course, a lot of players promoted to the big leagues during the course of the season, like Luis Garcia and Joey Manessis especially. Now, who has performed well for the Red Wings? I know a lot of Nats fans are big fans of Andrew Stevenson, and he's had a very solid season. In fact, at the moment, he's in one of those hot stretches for him, and Andrew can be kind of a streaky guy. But as I tape this, he's reached base safely 22 straight games. He's batting around 280, 14 home runs, which is a career high. He also has career highs in doubles and RBIs, and he has stolen, as I tape this, 31 bases, which is the most stolen bases for a Red Wings player since the mid-1990s. So he's done a terrific job. Of course, when Joey Manessis got promoted, that left a huge void at first base and in the Red Wings lineup. And a guy that's really filled that void very well is John Nagowski, who's played a little bit in the major leagues with the Cardinals and the Pittsburgh Pirates. He has gotten on base at a very good clip for the Red Wings while also playing an outstanding first base. Third baseman Jake Alou has been solid since getting promoted from AA Harrisburg, hitting around 260 with four home runs. And the young catching prospect, Israel Pineda, recently made his AAA debut for the Wings. He hasn't gotten a lot of hits the last few days, but he had a spectacular debut, getting a double and a home run and driving in five runs, which I think is maybe the most RBIs ever for a Red Wings player during their AAA debut. And as far as pitchers that are maybe standing out, veteran Logan Verrett, has been the Wings' most consistent starting pitcher the second half of the season. He lost his last time out against Toledo, though he pitched seven effective innings. And over his last seven appearances, he has a 3-2 and two record and a 1.98 ERA, during which time International League hitters are batting only 188 against him. And another uh, pitcher who's really performed well is someone who's been with the Nationals in the bullpen a little bit the last couple of years, Patrick Murphy. He has actually been working as a starting pitcher of late for the Red Wings, getting him more reps, He's been working three, four innings at a time and has really been effective using that good hard fastball and breaking ball of his. So Patrick Murphy has been showing some really positive signs lately as well. That's the update as the Wings roll into the end of the season. Only about three weeks left for the Red Wings and everybody else in AAA. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.